Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Noel, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Nancy Landrum, welcome to Listening with Leaders. You are a coach, and you have a master's in psychology, and you can be found at nancylandrum.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. So tell us how you got into the business of working with couples. It started when I was quite young. I was only three or four when I decided I was going to have a much happier marriage than it looked to me, like my parents had. I didn't realize it would take 40 years of some pretty hard lessons before I could see that goal accomplished. My late husband, Jim, and I, um, we were both widowed. We were a little bit older when we married. We had five children between us. We thought we could handle anything. Of course, we were so much in love and glad to have found each other. But the unique challenges of step families just totally blindsided us. And before long, we were fighting. And that wasn't what we planned for our marriage. We thought we were going to live happily ever after. But eventually, the fighting got so bad, we started looking for help. And it took us about a year of interviewing therapists, reading books, going to workshops before we found the very practical help the how-to kind of help that we needed. We needed to learn better ways of communicating with each other that were more respectful. And we needed to learn how to listen to each other because, you know, when two people are talking, nobody's listening. <laughs> and and um, as soon as we put those practices, those skills into practice, it was like magic. The conflicts, the fighting stopped. It took about six weeks of having very intense, respectful speaking and listening sessions with each other before we agreed on a solution to our main issue. But the fighting stopped the minute we began to speak respectfully and listen to each other, repeating back you know, what the other had said. So the skill you learned was uh, reflecting back words. Yes. Have you ever heard of affect labeling? I assume that means also repeating back the feeling that you see demonstrated. Listening to emotions, right. Yes. And that was included. We kind of naturally moved into that without actually that being taught to us. But it was. It was so effective to recognize not only the words, but the feeling behind the words and the intention behind the feeling. Right. Um, there are there are nine brain scanning studies that show why affect labeling works the way that it does. It's my core foundational skill that I teach. I, I actually tell people to ignore the words when they're listening. 
Oh, um, I'm gonna try that. Uh, ignore the words, read the emotional data fields, reflect back the emotions with the use statement. Um, and like I said, yeah. the first brain scanning study came out of Matthew Lieberman's lab at UCLA in 2007. And then he and his, his graduate students have published a number of papers showing the efficacy of epic labeling after that. Gosh, so, I'm very interested in that. Yeah, we will talk. We can talk more about it after the show. So what I mean, what you you went mid-career, it looks like you went to University of Santa Monica back to school. That's a it's well, an interesting university. They teach a lot of really interesting stuff there. It was um it was a, a very good period of time for me. But before that, a few years after we got our marriage cleaned up, Jim suggested that we start teaching couples what we had learned because we found it so hard to find the effective practical help that we needed. So we started teaching classes in our home and also uh, acted as guest speakers in support groups in Southern California. And then he encouraged me to go back and get my master's, which I wanted to do anyway. And uh, that, Although I learned many valuable things in that master's program, and it was a period of time in my life when I really valued the support that I got there because my adult son had just passed away. But the skills that Jim and I taught were the skills that we had learned. And um, I still primarily teach the skills that Jim and I learned that helped us save our own marriage and give us the happy, loving, peaceful, cooperative relationship that we both thought we were getting when we said I do. Uh, you know, your your journey is very similar to mine. I, in mid-career, I went back to school and earned my master's degree in peacemaking and conflict studies. But none of as great as my mentors were, and they were fabulous. Mm -hmm. knew how to de-escalate an angry person. They were all relying on that old uh, Thomas Gordon active listening stuff from the 1950s where you say, yes. what I hear you saying is X, which of course does not work, has never worked, will never work. And there is no science to support it in any event. Mm. And it wasn't until 2005 that I I, I stumbled on affect labeling uh, in a very difficult conflict I was mediating. And then, as I said, Lieberman's study came out two two years later. Um, so that's kind of the path that I went on. And I, I'm curious, I mean, another thing that you said that really struck me was that you and your husband interviewed many, many, many therapists. And well, three. Oh, three. Okay. All right. Um, it's been my experience that there, and this is just personal, a personal observation is that there, there, there just really aren't many therapists that, that really listen in this deep way. They've been taught a certain way to listen and that's what they think they know, regardless of whether it's efficacious or not. What, what's been your experience? I'm sorry to say I don't have a lot of confidence in most therapists. I've, I know of one in particular in this area that I have a great deal of respect for. But I can't tell you how many of my clients have come to me for coaching after having a very poor experience with a therapist or seeing two or sometimes three therapists in the history of their marriage yeah. without getting the practical help that they need. That's, that's been my experience too. Um, and I, 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 I'm not sure why that is. 
Um, I, I, I think it's pedagogy that's based on old models and it, it has been modernized. And I also think that the people that teach in the graduate schools um, haven't learned much about the how, as you point out. Yes. I think I think they talk about the what, but not about that, because I'm just like you. I teach. I don't, I only teach the how. Right. You don't need to know what, why to do this or what to do. You need to know how to do it. And it's got to be teachable and replicable and duplicable. And from my perspective, it has to work every single time without fail. Yes. Else it doesn't work. So, so maybe you could share with us just a, a couple of the things that you teach just at the 50,000 foot level. If people are having difficulty in their relationships, and it could be a business relationship as well as a right limit relationship. What are some of the what are some of the communication problems that you see? And and what are what what are the antidotes? Well, the inventory I'm going to send you is a list of very, very com 42 common ways of communicating that don't work. Okay, 42. I like that. That uh, trigger defensiveness yeah. and escalate an argument that make feelings get hurt or um, anger gets triggered. They just never work, not even one time. No. Yeah, my, one of my favorite was the sarcastic put down. You know, I used that when I was frustrated with Jim. And of course, it never worked. It always made things worse. Right. His favorite was the finger pointing accusatory. You, you did this. Why didn't you do that? But when we learn to speak respectfully, which is, of course, the this is what I think. This is how I feel. Uh, these are my feelings. These are my concerns. It was so much easier for our partner to hear what we were saying. And then the listening skill uh, was the uh, response to that was to repeat back. In our case, we just repeated back what the other was saying until we got more it was sort of mechanical to begin with, but then it became more, uh, more in-depth, more empathic, more listening to the feeling behind the words that are, were being spoken. And that gradually built up a, a storehouse of empathy between us from which we could resolve the big issue that we had. Right. Um... Have you have you ever heard of the term emotional invalidation? No, but I think I can guess what that means. Why don't probably you tell me? Your, it's probably on your list. It's probably you probably have a number of emotionally invalidating statements on your list. So it would be stuff like "get over it," "don't be right. a baby," uh, "don't be a girly girl," "be a man," you know, "be a man," you know, right? Um, or "it's not that big a deal," or "I do listen to you," or "stop crying," or. Why are you making such a mountain out of a molehill? You know, I've oh, got yeah. a, I've got a five page list of these statements. I think I need to add some of those to my list. <laughs> and what I've discovered as a peacemaker is that um, emotional invalidation is the most insidious and pervasive form of abuse that's out there. Everybody does it. And when I teach classes. I ask people, has this ever happened to you? And everybody says yes. And I said, how's yes. it feel? And they all say they hate it. And they feel distant. Yes. They feel rude. And they said, then why do you do it to your children? 
Yes. Why do you do it to your partner? And it turns out this is the reason. One, well, there are three reasons. One, it's all they know because that's what right. to them. Two, right. it's all they've been taught. But three, most importantly, they're unconsciously soothing their own anxiety around the emotions of the other person. Yes. And so the brain is basically reactively saying, stop feeling the way you're feeling, because if you stop feeling the way you feel, I will feel better about myself. I won't have anxiety. Well, and I'm sure you know that that's frequently what happens when someone is grieving. Same thing. They're not allowed to grieve because it makes the other person uncomfortable. That's right. That's right. And, and so that's why sympathy is a really bad thing. Um, sympathy is does not help. Sympathy is a form of emotional invalidation. What you really should be doing is validating the yes. person who can grieve. And just like in any other emotional situation, you validate their emotions by reflecting back their emotions with a you statement. The other thing you said that I completely agree with is distinguishing between when you use an I statement and when you use the you statement. And you, okay. you expressed it beautifully. Um, you always use an I statement when you're asserting your own feelings and your own concerns. Right. Um, and, and you only use a you statement when you are reflecting back somebody else's words, meaning, and emotions. Exactly. And this is something that a lot of people don't get. And they think it's weird to be, to, well, what, what do you mean use a you statement to tell somebody what they're feeling? Well, that's that's how it works. And that's how our brains absorb the information because we're always trying to listen from the speaker's frame of reference. I've seen couples who have had the same conflict for 15 or 20 years in one, what I call a skilled discussion where they're using respectful speaking and I call it listening to understand, listening for the purpose of understanding. And in one 20 minute session, they resolve that issue. Yeah. It's just magical. It's so much it fun to watch. It is. I agree. Um, I've actually got a YouTube video up on my YouTube channel, The Power of Emotional Competency, where I facilitated a very difficult conversation between a couple that were on the verge of breaking up. Mm -hmm. And it's a very powerful it's a very powerful conversation. And all we were doing is reflecting emotions. Three days later, I got uh, a WhatsApp video from them. They were kissing and they were in Hawaii saying all was good. And they were. Oh, gosh. It's so cool. <laughs> you know, it's worth it. Isn't it worth it? Just every time I see that kind of miracle happen, it that's what feeds my soul. I know. And. and I got a, I'm, I coach, I have a group that I coach on every other Saturday, a group coaching group in, on these skills. And so last Saturday we had a session and one of my, two of my students are divorce, divorce coaches. And one of them read an email that she received from one of her clients who ethic labeled. And I mean, again, it was just what you would expect, right? They couldn't believe the magic that happened yes. when they were, when they actually reflected the emotions of the person they were in conflict with. Yeah, it's a foundational skill of life. I'm sure this is true for you as well. But my the greatest payoff for me is when my adult clients begin using these skills with their children. Well, let me tell you about that. The studies are amazing. They, the studies show, again, out of Lieberman's lab, the studies show that if you start, especially epic labeling, you're yes. using their emotions, reflecting their emotions at a young age, say two, three, or four. Yes. At age 12, they're two grade levels ahead of their peers, and they have the emotional maturity of a 21-year-old. 
I'm not at all surprised, but I'm very happy to hear that. And what's going on and what we're, what the neuroscientists are learning and the developmental psychologists, neuropsychologists that are studying this stuff find out that cognitive development is linked to emotional development. And if you invalidate wow. your child, you are stopping their emotional development. That's why most people stop emotionally maturing between six and eight year, years old. This is according yes. to Ford Newfeld of the Newfeld Institute in, in uh, British Columbia. Yeah. And so they'll grow up to be adults, but they have the emotional maturity of between six and eight years old. So whenever they're stressed or get angry or get stressed or fight or whatever, they revert back to that six-year-old stage because that's all they know. But if you emotionally validate your children, you're coaching them as an emotional coach to grow their emotional intelligence along with their cognitive intelligence. Uh -huh. And it it has a huge amplifying effect for these. I, I have so many testimonials of parents who've written me emails you know of what happened when they when their kid was having a tantrum and they just stopped and began to repeat back to their child you know the feeling they saw the words that were being said how the child calms down one father wrote you know that as soon as he began listening to understand his nine-year-old tantrum thrower he he began acting, the father began acting like an adult again, because before that, he was hollering back right. at his son. Right. But, uh, the you know, they both calmed down. Yeah, I get the same emails. I've got emails from parents who's, who say they started affect labeling their three-year-olds and the tantrums completely disappeared. Yes. Gone forever, never coming back. I have a client right now whose five-year-old is a master tantrum thrower. <laughs> and and she was so skeptical about trying this. And I said, please, just try it. And she came back the next week and she said, he calmed down. You know, he calmed down without the tantrum. Right. And, you know, he still said, but I still want to do that. And his mother said, yes, I understand you want to do whatever it is. I'm sorry, I can't let you right now. But it was over. Yeah, I mean, the the kids can accept. They can accept a no. Yes. Anybody can accept a no as long as they feel deeply heard. Yes. And listened to. That's the other thing I've learned is that there are very few people in the world who have ever really felt like they were deeply heard and understood. It's rare. It is really rare. And, you know, people get into relationships because they want that intimacy Yes. And yet they don't have the skills of intimacy. They don't know how. They don't know how. And and they get really frustrated because they're looking for that deep love, that deep bond, deep connection. And they think they know it's possible, but but they don't know how to get there. And so they suffer as a result. That's that's my presentation when I meet with a new couple. It's a complimentary appointment. Mm -hmm. But I ask them, you know, what kind of relationship did you see modeled for you? as a child in your home Good point. and 99 times out of 100 it's a troubled relationship whether their parents remained married or divorced all they saw in front of them was modeling poor relationship skills what and i said how can you expect to create a happy loving marriage if you haven't had a model and you haven't taken a class you know to know how that's right. Uh, have you, did you ever study Virginia Satir's work? Yes. Okay. And she was the one that said that 96% of all families are emotionally dysfunctional. Yep. <laughs> and some wag said, and the other 4% are lying. 
<laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that describes the family I grew up in. Yeah, I mean that, and that, and that's the truth of the matter. And and you can you can only practice what you've been taught or what yes. you've seen. And so, if you live in a in a dysfun emotionally dysfunctional family, then you're going to be emotionally dysfunctional yourself. We only learn skills two ways, and one way is to have it modeled for us, and the other way is to take a class or to learn. Find somebody who knows what they're doing. Find somebody who knows. And that's that raises another really interesting thing. I'm curious about your observation. I've done a lot of studying of the commercial emotional intelligence coaching field, looking at that, and all I see out there is garbage. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, for example, the uh, you would think that an emotional intelligence trainer or coach should have a high level of emotional intelligence themselves, right? You would hope so. Doesn't doesn't happen. They don't even define what an emotion is, and. That to me is sort of a fundamental flaw. If you can't define emotion, then why are you teaching something like emotional intelligence? It, it drives me crazy. Um, so what are you doing these days? You, you're basically helping people, um, help couples learn how to communicate better, listen better, speak respectfully, that sort of thing. I teach couples how to talk without fighting. That's a good thing. And... Um... And I've written eight books about various aspects of healthy relationships. I've created an online streaming course called Million, Millionaire Marriage Club, which teaches the skills in a uh, eight modules or 19 half-hour lessons that they can go through at home at their leisure, or they can do just, it in conjunction with coaching. Just so our so everybody who's listening, that's it, Nancy. Landrum, L-A-N-D-R-U-M dot com. You can find, I looked at her website. Yes, folks, they're there. I saw them. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got uh, two, two, two online, two online courses. I've got a course on uh, how to de-escalate an anger person. Mm -hmm. And then I've got my basic and advanced emotional competency courses, which is really all, it's, I'm teaching people in these courses how to listen, especially how to listen to emotions, but then dealing with, how do you deal with, somebody who's really angry at you? How do you deal with power differentials? How can you use skills like discursive positioning? To, it's kind of a verbal jujitsu when somebody's trying to play a power game on you. Stuff yeah. like that. So. Well, I'm just currently at, I just finished it a couple of weeks ago. I'm adding a stepping together edition of Millionaire Marriage Club that includes strategies that have been research proven to help step families succeed. So what are the challenges you have? You mentioned it before. Now, I'm glad you reminded me that you had a problem with your with your step family that you and Jim created. What are the mm -hmm. what are the problems that step families face? We walk into it thinking that we're going to recreate a nuclear family model, you know, the all American leave it to be there kind of family. Probably has never existed. <laughs> Probably never existed in the first place. I never saw a family like that but that's the model we have in our brains you yeah. know that we want to uh, achieve and yet step families have so many different sources of stress that are not present in a nuclear family uh jim and i the main source of stress we had is we we came to our marriage already having been parents for several years and had very different parenting styles. Mm -hmm. 
And of course, I was sure I was right. (laughs) He was even more sure that he was right. And we just ended up fighting over the parenting, particularly of his eight-year-old son. We decided before we married that we would continue single parenting our teenage children. It was kind of late to ask them to take on another parental figure. We never had a problem uh, or a disagreement about how we parented our older children, but we were trying to co-parent Jimmy with very different styles of parenting and with extremely poor communication skills. So we just kept triggering each other's uh, resentment and anger, and uh, we could not, neither of us were willing to admit that there might be some right in the approach of the other person. I call that fighting to be right. Oh, yeah, that's what we did for almost seven years. Wow. And uh, it came very close to... We were talking about possibly separating until Jimmy was old enough to leave home. But I realize now, looking back, that wouldn't have solved the problem. Um, we were into, go ahead. How long into your marriage did, was it before you started discovering these listening and 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 uh, respectful speaking skills? It was in the seventh year when we were desperate enough to start looking for help. And then it took us almost a year until we found someone that uh, basically she taught us how to speak respectfully. We just on our own, because because my partner was speaking to me respectfully and I wasn't reacting as much, I was doing a better job of listening. So the listening kind of grew gradually and sort of accidentally. Okay. until um, a few years later, we read Harville Hendricks' book, Getting the Love You Want, right. and I've... learned the skill of mirroring. Right. There's which... a, you got to be careful about that, though. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, mirroring, the way I, te- I teach four levels of reflective listening, mirroring, paraphrasing, core messaging, and epic labeling. The way I teach mirroring is it's only used for procedures and tasks and recipes. Yes. And so you're just repeating back what the other person has said to make sure that you've got clarity. So for example, I'm a, I'm a pilot. And if I get mm-hmm. a, if I get a clearance from air traffic control, I've got to read back that clearance verbatim. Yes. Clear it back because at 8,000 feet and 200 knots, crushed aluminum is not a good thing. Right. And so we avoid those problems by making sure that the instructions that I receive, I can re, I, I've, re, I've got them clearly and accurately and I can repeat them back. And that's Perfect. when pretty powerful but other than that um, well well mirroring was a step up from what we were doing (laughs) and you know later we began to listen with more empathy and using uh putting things in our own words as we repeated back and began noticing the feelings that were being demonstrated all of that kind of gradually was added on layer by layer accidentally we weren't taught that that's great um there is a methodology for learning all this stuff um in fact uh, i'm the co-founder of the prison of peace project and for the last 13 years we've been working in maximum security prisons around the world training lifers and long-termers how oh to be gosh. effective peacemakers and the first skill we teach them on the first day 
are the four levels of reflective listening. Yes. The whole foundation of their work as peacemakers and mediators to stop prison violence is knowing how to listen. And that is so great. exciting. Yeah, it's been amazing. I mean, here in California, um, I know you're down in Southern California. I'm in Central California. Um, we've had over 6,000 of our students released from California prisons. Not one of them is reoffended. Oh, man. Isn't that amazing? Why aren't you getting more press? Um, there are a lot of people that uh, do not. There's a lot of money in the prison industrial system. Oh, gosh. And there's a that lot is- of. There's a lot that of resistance is, to this stuff. That is so exciting. Well, yeah, it's really powerful. Yeah, and I could go on and on and on about it, but there's really more about you. But I mean, we're really—I I can see that we've we've come to the we've come to the same place in in very different different ways. But we end up yes. in the same place. So if people want to—we're coming up to the end of our of our time. Um, your website is nancylandrum.com. That's yes. where people can probably reach out to you and contact you if they have any questions. They need some help from you. I've got one more question for you. For yes. you. And this is a little more personal. What's one thing that we wouldn't know about you, Nancy, unless you revealed it to us? Gosh, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> some people are stumped and they can't think of anything. One is that I still have to battle the low self-esteem that I picked up in my childhood because I was never heard. Okay. Uh, another is that I, when I get stuck emotionally, I find something creative to do and that helps me get unstuck. Excellent. I, Excellent. Is that good enough? Those good two enough. Gave you two. You so, thank you so much for taking your time out of your busy day to be with me. Oh, this has been a privilege. I'm very glad to have met you and so impressed with the work you're doing. Thank you. Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.dougnoll.com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listening with leaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dougnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Knoll. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.